Welcome back to the Wisdom for Business and Life podcast. Thank you so much for joining. Today, I have a, another special guest with me, Scott Myers. Scott Myers is the CEO of a company called Self Storage Investing. Thank you so much for being here, Scott. Hi, Levy. Good to see you again. Yeah, real pleasure. I know we've spoken quite a number of times already and we've met in person, but for the sake of the audience, give us a little bit of your background, who you are. Sure. So I own a company called Self Storage Investing and selfstorageinvesting.com. And that is really all we do, which is all things self storage. So I've been investing in real estate since 1993. So this is this marks my 30th year in real estate, hard to believe, and been investing in self storage since 2005. So 18 years in self storage. So I started the path like most people do when they get into real estate with single family houses and then got into multifamily and looking for that economies of scale that we're all seeking where we get property managers and management companies in place. And then it becomes more of a passive role, if you will, although it's never passive because it is a business. But we got to the place where we had about 80 houses and over 400 apartment units and didn't really see the passive side of it. It was just really more active. And every time we bought another complex, it was even more active, even though we had the management companies in place. And so I began to look around the real estate landscape and we all love real estate. Of course, everybody says we love habitational and landlording real estate, if it weren't for the tenants and the toilets and the trash. And so if you look around in real estate, then there's really not much left outside of that other than parking lots and self-storage to eliminate those. And so that's what we begin doing is going down that path of researching and, and looking into and doing my due diligence on self-storage and really liked what I saw. If people don't pay, we can lock them out or put what's called an overlock on their units sell their stuff off if they don't pay rent. And then when they move out, either on their own or by way of an auction, we're left with a metal box on a concrete slab and it takes us 30 seconds to blow it out and do the turn, as they call it. And so for those no, reasons- No rehab needed. No rehab needed, no. So for those reasons and many more, but those are the main ones, I realized that this is an asset class that I wanted to be involved in. And so we began to look into idea even further, but there really wasn't an education company or a resource for teaching about it. I went to the trade shows and some of the other industry events but there was more vendors and folks talking about the business and wanting to buy from them. And so learned through School of Hard Knocks, but also by way of getting a consultant to fill in the gaps and talking to as many people as I could in the industry. And so we launched it, got into our first partnership in a facility, and then never, never turned back. Sold all our houses and apartments and went full bore into self-storage. And since there was a need in the market for folks to teach about the business as well, we did launch a few years later, an education company and a consulting company to teach people how to get into the business by way of acquisitions and, and then development and conversions. And so we, we grew two very large businesses in self-storage that eventually became merged. And now we teach people how to invest in storage and then they invest alongside of us or with us, either passively or actively just depending upon the project. And so that's a long-winded answer to your question, but that is a 30-year journey in real estate and brought us to where we are today. Now, along that journey, there's many stops and ups and downs, and, mm -hmm. and no one reaches any level of longevity in the journey or success without gaining some wisdom or without using wisdom. Mm -hmm. And this podcast is about that. So wisdom for business and life, because often the two come together. So if you look back at your career, it doesn't just have to be business. It can also be about life. What are the wisdoms, wisdom teachings or wisdom nuggets that you have that seem to come up over and over again to help you as you reach different milestones and different challenges, let's say? 
Well, first of all, Levi, uh, again, an honor to be on the podcast because that that means that you consider me having some wisdom to be able to impart on folks. So well, it's enough. We did speak a few times before, and I mentioned the podcast, and and you did say a, a number of things which I thought were really interesting would be very valuable for the audience. That's why I've asked you to come on and and, and share some of those things. But I going directly to those things because I'm sure you have a lot more as well. Well. Well, it's interesting did to talk about you know, self-awareness, I think is a beautiful thing. It's a gift that you give yourself. And it's for those that have kids, it's a gift that you can give them too, for them to be able to find out and figure out, first of all, what's their, what's their giftings? You know, what have they been born with? What is their, their higher power, their God given them? And how can we utilize those? I, I think if we turn away from that or fight it, or we, we want to go towards something that's more sexy, that typically doesn't work out that way. But then I think, you know, as we go on, you know, wisdom just comes from, you know, it comes with scar tissues and uh, scar tissue and, and it comes with a, a limp and there's lessons that we learn along the way. You know, if we will lean into our mentors and all those that that came before us that that we learned from by way of books and, and mentors and teachers, that's one thing. But, you know, we, we all still do learn by, by doing and, and we have to endure some of those on our own. But the beauty of coming out on the other side of that is after being in real estate for 30 years now, you know, that gives us the ability, you know, we've been through two recessions heading into our third and, and you look a little further down the road. Once you've been through a recession, you know, you, you understand, you know, what this feels like, what it looks like. And, and you, you can very easily draw on the pains of the last one or the hard times in our businesses and, and understand, you know, how to avoid some of that, or at least how to navigate it and, and put some of the, you know, the, the guardrails in place to make sure that doesn't happen again. You know, but for instance, you know, there's there's many people that have made money in real estate and done well in self stories since 2010. You know, when we come out of the recession, and that's great. And a lot of smart people, but you know, 50% of that success, including my own, was was a gift from the market itself. So you know, we're we're not all that in a bag of chips. You know, but those of us that have been through a few recessions, you know, we learn a few other things from that. But by the same token, you know, there's other folks in real estate and and, and self storage that are influencers, and 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 one of them I saw on on Twitter recently bragging. I guess that's the only way you put it because I don't know why you would put out there that you lost four hundred thousand dollars on a project before you decided to pull the plug, and then use that as a lesson, you know, for other folks or you know his followers or or his tribe to learn from. And and I don't know the, the circumstances, but I can tell you, lady, there's there is no way that in our organization that we would get to the point where we knew we were going to lose or potentially lose $400,000 before we pulled the plug on a project. And that only comes from, you know, the experience of being going through a couple of recessions and having projects start and stop and some that we've, we have had to pull the plug on. But I, I can tell you, sure as I'm sitting here, I'm not going to let $400,000 go through my fingers of my money or my investors' money or my family's money before we begin to, you know, the, before the, you know, the alarms go off and you recognize that something is going south. And so there's just, uh, there's wisdom that comes from some of the challenges that allows you to go further down the road in, let, let me, in business because you've seen it before. Let me push on that particular note because, so what is it? You've got one guy, maybe younger, less experienced, which could be a bad thing, could be a good thing as well, because right. maybe you have less experience. You're not jaded sometimes. You're able mm-hmm. to kind of see opportunities some of the older mm-hmm. people are able to see. And, mm-hmm. and I see this in our space as well, that younger people, they've got an ability to see what their generation is going mm-hmm. through and therefore mm-hmm. how things might look in five or six years because of how their generation are moving, whereas older people mm-hmm. maybe not see this. So there's a, a flip side to this as well. But what is it that you have having done it for 30 years, what is it? What are the things that you look out for, which are going to ensure that you don't 
lose that $400,000 or whatever it is that this guy might, what are, what are the key mm-hmm. things that you say, I wouldn't do this because of the wisdom I've learned, et cetera, or yeah. I've learned this wisdom, which means that I won't do this. Yeah. I, I think it comes with, you know, there's, there's the youthful exuberance and the optimism that the newer entrepreneurs have. And, and, and I've had that as well. And, and to the degree, which I think you're referring to, you know, you hope that people don't lose that. We're, I hope in myself, I don't lose it as I grow older because, you know, yeah. we have had some bad experiences and, and sometimes that causes you to be overcautious in the opposite direction and, mm-hmm. and not really realize that, that you can move forward with something. And there's that also that situational knowledge and experience, as you alluded to as well, there's, there's dif- differences in generations and they may see something that the older generation doesn't. And so all those things encapsulated, you know, how, how do we navigate that on both ends? And I think for those of us that have been around a little bit longer, one of the ways we prepare ourselves is that, you know, we know that this is a litigious society that we that we live in. And so we put all those safeguards in place and making sure that we have just solid documents and paper in place. And also I've had to, I've had my attorney push back um, against me, many situations within a project saying, I can paper this thing up all day long, but Scott, I think that this may be a little too risky and here's why. And I'm not just saying that because I'm your attorney, but I think you could get into some trouble with this one. And the earlier years, I thought, well, I'm going to prove them wrong because, you know, he doesn't know any better. She doesn't know any better. You know, my attorneys, my team, and uh, they don't know what I know because I'm younger than them and I'm going to move forward and, and prove it to them. <laughs> and they've said, I'll never stop you unless I really see that you're going to step in something. But this is a, this is a project you probably shouldn't go forward with. And, and I went forward with many of those. And one of them I wished I hadn't because they were right. And um, I should have listened to them in that instance. And I still have that property today. And at best, we'll break even if, you know, and maybe make a little bit of money on, on this project. It's a piece of dirt. And maybe we'll tell that story another do- uh, another day. But I, I think you you measure that some of the losses that you've had, you you get good, solid advisors and counsel from attorneys to other folks, uh, mentors that have gone down the path before you. And and then the numbers, I think many times that there are folks, I'm still surprised, you know, we run, as I mentioned, a, an education organization, mm-hmm. and I'm still just shocked, Levy, that, that we see people out there writing up purchase agreements on projects when they really don't know the numbers. They really don't know how to underwrite and they haven't bothered to ask and really learn. And I think that their, their underwriting is a little too optimistic and they've grabbed a model or even a software from somebody else and they don't know not even how to use it, let alone how to read the information back that is giving them and when that they put the data in. You're seeing that in, in self-storage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Amazing commercial real estate across the board. When you're yeah. operating with a you know a valuation based upon a net operating income on an operation of a business or a piece of real estate and a cap rate, there's literally thousands of ways. I mean, there's a hundred or so, 150 different calculations that you need to be mindful of, and then you can make roughly a thousand plus mistakes within that algorithm and those softwares and those underwriting pieces. It's an art and a science, and I think many folks are are not treating it with as either. And it's just a, a necessary uh, evil in, in order to put something in front of the lender in order to get a loan. Yeah, yeah. I thought, because I've seen that a lot from people who are starting off in real estate, buying single families or, or two or three family places, but you know, they're putting for them a lot of money, $100,000, $200,000 mm-hmm. down. And I've seen that quite a bit, but I didn't realize that it, the degree that we you know when people are putting millions of dollars down, mm-hmm. they're still doing yeah. that. I mean, that's so that's those, you know, lady, those are the basics. I mean, those are the kind of the blocking and tackling. But I, I think you have to have the long 
you have to have the long game in mind in order to succeed. I, I believe more than anything, if you're just looking for the quick hit, or if you're just looking to make a run, you know, before the next recession and get out, or you've got a five or seven year in mind, if you're always looking at that, at your business or at your approach to a venture with that in mind as the end game, I don't think that people are going to be successful. You know, for me, yeah. I'm unemployable. I can't go back and work for somebody else after being out of my own this long. There's just, you know, I was, I felt like a caged animal the, the, the few years I was in corporate America and there's no way that I would go back. And so part of that is, you know, the fear of, Hey, if I, if I don't do this right and I lose it all, I may have to go back and get a job to support my family or, or myself. And, and to me, that is always hanging out there. You know, it's just like, I, I absolutely can't, I have to succeed at this. And when you get into the realm that, that, that you and I are in, you know, it's a, it's a small group, but a, a large group of individuals and, and companies and offices and contacts. But if you don't do well by folks, and I don't mean just by missing your projections, but I mean, you know, worse, you know, you, you don't operate from a place of integrity and, and your investors see it, recognize it, or you're found out, then you're done. It doesn't matter, no matter whether you wanted to be in the long game or the short game, but in today's world of social media transparency and, and, and the network of folks that are around, if you're not doing right by your investors all the way through and operating every single decision, every single piece of information, everything, the word that comes out of your mouth needs to be truthful. And you need to, we're all, we all say that we're conservative and under promise and over deliver, but you have to do that. You have to be realistic and you have to make sure that you are conservative and that you do over deliver. And that's, that's how you stay in the game. We, we've yeah. been at those panel discussions and, and this comes up at every single one of uh, these family office types of events and meetings. And the, the heads of the family offices say, we, we won't invest with anybody unless we can, we understand that they operate from a place of integrity. And that comes by way of a referral. Because you can't find that out in the dating phase. You can only find that out once you get married or if you have a referral from somebody else. But, you know, this is true in, in everything. I'll give you an example because I, I went to a store and I, I ordered over the phone and, and they sent me and they actually delivered whatever I was looking to. It was, it was groceries or whatever. It was a small mm -hmm. store. And when I looked at the receipt, I saw that they had put certain items on the receipt, which I didn't order and weren't in the, in the, and I actually went back there and, and, and I mentioned it and he was cagey about it. I could tell immediately this wasn't the first time he had done it. Mm -hmm. He figured out a way that when people did orders over the phone or whatever, he would throw in a few extra bucks. That's 15%. Over time, that's a lot of money for your business. It's your bottom line, yeah. but it's, it's, he got in that dishonestly. He's running a small business. He's not going to private equity. He still, mm -hmm. he's lost his integrity and, and, mm -hmm. and that's 15 bucks. It's not a big deal for me. I'm not going to go to the FBI over it. <laughs> There's no class action lawsuit, but mm -hmm. enough people see that and you will not make money. It's so this mm -hmm. piece of it's wisdom, but it's also like it's a I don't understand how people don't get that. It just doesn't make sense. It's not good business to treat people. No, it, it really isn't. And I don't know that they will ever see a measurement of that. But at the end of the day, it, you know, if you do measure it, you know, the lost business by you telling people not to go there, you know, that around whether this is a local business and around your, your, your neighbors or whomever, or just the fact that they lost you as a customer. I mean, the cost of customer acquisition in any business is much higher than it is to just keep them. Uh, you know, and that, I mean, yeah. that is the art of business anyways, you pay all this capital, put all this time, you know, the heavy lift, you know, to get the business moving. And as Jim Collins calls it, you know, the flywheel, you know, then yep. after a while, once it's moving, you just touch it every once in a while, you keep what yep. you got and you get a little bit more, you keep the customers you've got and you get a little bit more. Yep. But if you're, if you're operating in, in, in that pretense and you're losing customers, that is just much, much more expensive to acquire more to get back to that same level. And you may yep. lose some of the customer base that you'll never have again, if it's a small industry. So I, I, I've never understood it. 
I don't operate by nature that way anyways, but it's certainly not only a bad way to live your life, but it's a bad business model as well. Yeah, exactly. So I, I want to touch upon though, what we, we talked about, which is you see, you, you're in the business of basically where people have a lot of stuff, <laughs> Yep. actually mm-hmm. too much stuff often, mm-hmm. and, and they need a place to store it. Mm-hmm. So, and that's a big business. Anywhere you go, anywhere in America, you'll see public storage. Mm-hmm. What is it that you've seen and what have you garnered in terms of human nature? Mm-hmm. Uh, what observations do you have as you've seen this business mm-hmm. for many years? So we're, you know, maybe we're a service-based business. Self-storage is a commodity. You know, we're in the trauma and transition side of the economy. When people are moving, there's a transition. If they're going to, you know, yeah. they're getting ready to move, they're going to put their stage, their house and put all their stuff in it before they move to make it look like there's more room. And then when they actually do move, they'll probably use storage until they get into their next home. People are also going to use storage if there's a transition, and that means um, you know they're 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 going through a life change. So they're retiring, their empty nesters are going to move into a smaller home, and then they move into assisted living, and it's a smaller living arrangement uh, again. And so each time they're going to put things in uh, storage. Um, your basement floods, and you're going to remodel. You're going to put things in uh, storage. Uh, death, divorce, bankruptcy. You know, uh, you know, three Ds are, are what drives this business. It is a demand base. And so that is that is a big piece of it. But uh, the other side that you're mentioning, which is, you know, we are as Americans, the hyper consumers of the world and we have too much stuff and we run out of space in our basements, our garage, um, you know, if we have them or, um, you know, just the fact that we are going into smaller types of housing now, we're becoming a more mobile society. Uh, people aren't wanting to buy a big house, their forever house. They want to live different places. Uh, we're becoming more transient in nature. You know, COVID accelerated that. We can work from anywhere. So now people are moving to places around the world or back home or wherever, and, and, and they can work from wherever. So they're not acquiring as much stuff and they're buying smaller homes. But at the same time, you know, they still, the, the millennials and the generations behind, they, they like adventure and they like to go camping. They like to ride motorcycles and bikes and kayaks. And if they're living in a smaller house or if they're going to be moving anytime soon, all that stuff goes into storage. And so, you know, the baby boomers were the, the uh, ultra users of uh, self-storage through the years. And now we're seeing that shift uh, to the millennials, but they have an even higher um, increase in a demand for storage. But the piece that, that, kind of surprised me um, the most is that, you know, there are a number, there's a percentage of renters where they will put those things in storage, whether it's just excess stuff or even after a move. And and it's really just, you know, the couch that doesn't fit in there or, you know, Aunt Clara passed away. And so she's got a storage unit or she gave us a few things, you know, it's worth maybe two or $300. But instead of figuring out what to do with it or throw it away or sell it or move it into their own homes, they let it ride, you know, it just sits there in the storage unit and they pay us, you know, a hundred bucks a month or 150 bucks a month. And, you know, to defer that decision to do something with it. And, and that's where the real easy Americans come into play <laughs> and how they lose money in storage is because they, they, they just won't make a decision. And so five, six, seven years later, you know, when they're, they're gone and, you know, we can't find them and we go through the auction process and cut the lock off and open it up. You know, there's there's that old green couch that have been sitting there rotting for eight years and, and a couple of spare tires, you know, now it's worth 20 bucks and they've spent seven or eight thousand dollars is what they've paid us to store it. So that again, along with an answer to your question, Levy, but the, that's the side of it that just, you know, is a head scratcher. And, and probably because I'm a minimalist, um, we've got four million square feet of storage all across the country, 25,000 units. And I'm proud to say that I don't have one of them that I'm using even for free. I, re, I, I refuse to do so. We're, we're, I'm a hyper purger 
and a minimalista by nature as well. And um, so to, the, to the, the, the day that we ever have a whole bunch of storage units is the day that um, you need to check on my meds because something's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, but it's interesting because it, there's something, there's an attachment that we have with material objects, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. As humans, yep. which is- Yeah, which we is, value ourselves based upon what we have. Yeah, net worth and self-worth, you know, in your mm-hmm. business. I, I started off my career as a rabbi and ended up in nonprofits. But as I got into business, people talk about their net worth a lot. And it becomes mm-hmm. really, really important to them, <laughs> which which I still try to get my head around. Like, why is it that important again? Like, I, mm-hmm. I understand why you want to know it, but why is it such a big thing? People get really, really attached to these material objects and don't want to give them away. And, and you're a minimalist, which you don't feel that way. Like, what makes you realize that maybe that's not a good thing? Well, part of it just stems from my spiritual beliefs. Um, you know, do not store up your uh, treasures here on earth, where moth and rust uh, destroy, but uh, store them in heaven. And and there's there's a lot of wisdom in that um, as well. Yeah. You know, the more stuff you own, the more it rusts. The more you have to break it, the more you have to pay to store it. I mean, I'm talking, you know, boats and RVs and you know, if you've got uh, two houses, a winter house and a summer house, you know, there's just extra roofs and just, um, there's just extra stuff that before you recognize it or realize that, uh, that there's really eating away at that net worth or your monthly operating income. So the more stuff you yeah. have, the more money it takes to maintain it and the more time. I mean, you know, anybody who's listening to this, you recognize and realize that if you've got more stuff, you just have to spend more time maintaining it. And, you know, so for me, you know, having an extra baggage and extra stuff uh, means that I, I have to maintain and I have to spend the time, uh, you know, to do do that as well. And that takes time away from people and relationships and the things that are that are most yeah. important. So I think that's probably the main driver. And, and second to that is that, you know, we we had a near, uh, as a as Dave Ramsey calls it, a near debt experience. You know, we um, back when the economy shifted in 99 and 2000. We were in houses and apartments and and the economy tanked and people were moving, um, first of all, moving back home. And then right after that, the Community Reinvestment Act came in place and and then any of our investor or our renters that could fog a mirror, they could buy a house. And so they all left and they left our left us with a high vacancy rate. And, uh, you know, we were robbing from Peter to pay Paul until Peter was broke as well. And um, you know, we recognize at that point that, um, you know, uh, gosh, if I wouldn't have spent that extra $20 on a bottle of wine or a sweater or sweatshirt, you know, there was times when I thought, boy, I really can use that $20 back. And so now that, you know, those pains and that scars, you know, if anybody has been in financial distress or duress, you know, you look back, you know, even the folks that have been through the great depression, they don't spend money, you know, they save and they reuse their aluminum foil and because they can remember and, you know, immediately, you know, transport themselves back to that time in a place where they didn't have any money. And so, you know, I think if you've been through that experience on your own, you tend not to, to buy more stuff because, um, you know, you just understand what that pain looks like. From what you're saying is it comes from, you know, a lot of experience with it, plus your spiritual beliefs, uh, which mm-hmm. I'm imagining is, is a religious thing as well. And religion brings a tremendous amount of wisdom. I mean, the Bible has just so much wisdom mm-hmm. uh, in it. If you If you only look to try and find it, but I heard one guy telling me that, you know, he doesn't actually, his, he's got so many things that it, the things don't work for him. He works for the things. <laughs> so, that, you know, I think that's kind of a little bit of what you're saying that, you know, you have the boats, you yep. have this, you have that, you're actually working for those things and it ends up being, it's not as exciting as it looks from the outside. So mm-hmm. anyway, this has been a wonderful conversation. I'm really, really grateful that you came on the Wisdom of Business and Life podcast and, and shared all of this uh, with me and then therefore also with the audience how can people get in touch with you or uh, if they want to and if, if you want to give any of that information out 
Sure. So selfstorageinvesting.com is our website. And that that has all things that we're doing professionally in terms of uh, investing in real estate, teaching people about it, how to invest passively and anything and all things. Lots of free resources there. Um, you can you can reach out to me by way of contact on the website as well. And then if you just look up Scott Meyer Self Storage on all the socials, you'll find me uh, our YouTube channel on uh, Facebook, on LinkedIn, you know anywhere else. Uh, I think we've got like over forty thousand impressions if you look up Scott Meyer Self Storage. So um, pretty easy to find me out there. Right. So definitely suggest the audience go and check that out. And you have to have an educational people that want to learn about self storage. Do you have education for them as well? Yep. All of that is located on at selfstorageinvesting.com. That is our main website, mostly educational in nature, but then you can get to all the others, our, our mission work, our passive investing opportunities, and uh, anything and everything that we're involved in, in in the way of self-storage. All right. Well, I'm very grateful for you spending time with me today. Thank you for your time. And uh, till next time, this has been the Wisdom for Business and Life podcast with Levy Brackman. Thank you so much for listening.